I'm recording right now. How about that, Robin? I'm Great. recording right you now. Are, there's a little recording, recording thing in the I corner. Just I, see, it. Yeah. I see that it's there now. This is great. You don't yeah. have to change your name anymore. Yeah, you can say. I don't have to it. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, yeah, so, well, welcome. We ha- we don't have a name for this segment yet. Everybody who listens to the show, all like five of them, are right. like, what is the name of the talkback section? Because I've done it differently every time. And I got to give a shout out real quick to my uh, coworker Teresa, who listens to the show. Suggested, suggested, suggested back of the house as a title. So maybe that'll work. Maybe I'll put that in audio to, in the in the episode description. Anyways, welcome to the second behind part. Behind the scenes or something like that. Behind the scenes, I like that. We were doing backstage for a while chats. backstage chats. I um I like all of those. Yep. It changed for a while. It changed by title of the play. So the first one was Bigfoot Takes a Talk Back. That's not <laughs> that's, fun. that's good, though. That's very good. <laughs> you think it's good? Thank you so much. I think that's I, great. I think that was pretty hacky, but I still no. buy it. It's out there. It's on Spotify. You can see it. <laughs> um, but And then that felt wrong to do for humiliation play. Like, let's talk about hum- <laughs> let's humiliate each other came into my head. Um <laughs> It doesn't seem quite right, but it almost does. I don't if know. You, I didn't see if you listen to the play, it makes a little yeah. bit more sense. Um, I, I believe it based on what you told me. It's no, perhaps it's, a little bit uh, much. <laughs> it might be a bit much. You're right. Um, so then I, I'm just shoot spitballing those. So the names for this segment, because we're releasing these in twos. Um, but we just finished our reading of The Human Condition by J. Vernon Reha. I thought it went splendidly. How did you guys feel about it? You love it? Yeah, I loved it. All right. And I'm here with our playwright, Jay Vernon Reha, our director, Valerie Devine. Divine. Divine. Fuck. Sorry. Um, <laughs> just, edit, just edit this part out. <laughs> no, leave it in. Start leave that over. in. <laughs> scrap, <laughs> scrap this recording. We have to try scrap it. Scrap it. We're starting all over. Very beginning. We're working. Valerie Devine. I'm going to remember that. I'm going to remember that. The human to, condition. Uh, we have to audition everybody again. We're starting. Yeah. We have to do it all again. This is, all if you're hearing this me. right now, if you're hearing this right now, something went wrong. Um, and <laughs> this slid through the cracks. Um, no, but we have Valerie Devine and we have our actors. Uh, we have Robin Kime and Jacob Kostiv. And we have the Magnificent, our, our, our moderator for this talk back. We've got Stephen Poultry. Say hi, Stephen. Hey, hello. How's everyone doing? <laughs> that was perfect how you just did it. Okay. And I might not edit. We might not edit any of this. Who knows? Maybe we'll. It's all. It's real. This is real, guys. <laughs> this, uh, is it. this is this is this is how it goes. Is, yeah. yeah. So I'm gonna go around and I introduced you kind of a little bit, but I want everybody to kind of so we we know your voices, so we know who's saying what. We're gonna go around and do a little uh, introduce yourselves. Just say your name and say uh, what your role was in this production. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll start with uh, you, Reha. Who are you? Hi, my name is uh, Jay Vernon Reha or Jacob Reha, but that's going to get confusing with the other Jacob, and I was the playwright. All right, Valerie? I'm Valerie Devine, and I was the director. Robin? Hi, everybody. My name is Robin Keim, and I was, I played Abby. Last, but yeah, kind of least. Jacob? Okay. Um, wow, cool. No, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jacob, or Jacob Kostiv. Yeah. One of the two. What's your last Jacob. name? Call me Costas. It's cool. Um, I voiced the role of Caleb. Yes. And then we got Stephen Poulter. Um, it sounded so dark. Like, And I guess he's included. Um, the actual least is... <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> I'm kidding. None of you are. None of you are the least. But this was super fun, guys. I'm super glad we got to do this. I, I always feel when... You know, these are like mini productions that we squeeze into like, you know, four days, uh, like, you know, a few rehearsals and, you know, a recording session. So when we do these, it always feels like when we hit the talk back, it feels, you know, and this is only the third one we've done, but it feels very complete. But it also feels like we went on a little like journey together, the whole group. And uh, mm-hmm. it feels nice to talk about it at the end. I don't know. That's me getting sentimental before I haven't asked any fucking questions. Um, I swear a lot. If that's going to bother listeners, um turn it off now i just don't have a censor <laughs> you um, yourself just like I, oh, beep, every time. I could i used to or don't when i was in college i had a radio show i had an early morning talk radio show at the campus uh news the campus radio station 
uh, and it was really horrible. And they just gave it to me because no one listened during that. It was at 5 a.m. Um, and I decided to do it. And I just talked about my life. And it was some of the worst programming ever. But I swore multiple <laughs> times. And they have a little beep button so you can edit yourself out as you go. Because um, even though it's live radio, there's a lag. But anyways, that's just a fun little story. Anyways, we're going to talk about this play, The Human Condition. Um, wonderful script. But I want to start off asking our playwright... Um, you know, we talked about this a little bit in the rehearsal process, but what was kind of the genesis, the the inspiration for writing this piece? Yeah, so uh, the the mm, the interesting thing about this one in particular was that uh, it didn't really all come to me at once. Like the the uh, concept came way later in the process than it usually would. Uh, the first thing that happened that made me start writing the script years ago was I uh, had a really late drive one night and started thinking about how weird it was that other people were driving at the same time as me. And that turned into the section near the beginning where Caleb is talking about a similar situation. Uh, and that was originally just a monologue that I wrote uh, with like sort of a nameless character uh, speaking about this thing. And then that turned into a little mini scene where another character was sort of responding to that. And that turned into two characters that I really love. And uh, that turned into a situation that I really liked. And then uh, over the course of the next however long, I would kind of go away from this play and come back to this play and then go away from the play and come back to the play. Because these characters and the situation started to mean a lot to me, but I didn't know what I was doing with them, what was going on with it. And then there was sort of a day where I was sitting around thinking about it and I realized, oh, what if I did that? What if uh, um, these are the themes? That works really well. It, it was already starting to get a little bit weird. So I wrote most of it pretty quickly following that. And this was more recent, only a couple of months ago. Um, and uh, at that point, I just kind of went with my gut um, and wrote over the course of a couple of weeks, probably the rest of it. And I did a whole lot of copying and pasting because there is a remarkable amount of repeated dialogue um, in the play, which is maybe a bit of a, a cheat. But um, yeah, I guess that's that's sort of the process for it and how it started. That's interesting. I always try to ask other writers this too, is that specifically playwrights, when you got to a point where you felt good about it, and I don't know if you ascribed to the idea that like I think it was Arthur Miller said it like no play is ever finished plays are just mm -hmm. abandoned mm -hmm. um when you reach that point of finish line or abandonment depending on your perspective do you feel like a sense of like loss for the characters are you ever kind of like man I don't get to play with like Caleb and Abby anymore and I'm kind of bummed um yeah I think well, I don't, I don't know that I've gotten to that point with this one yet. You know, this is, this is the first draft of it, essentially. It's like 1.1. Wow. Um, but, uh, the, uh, so, so there are things that I want to change things that this process has helped me realize maybe change in the future. Um, but certainly in the past when I, it, it's been something that I've decided to put away. It is, it's actually really sad. I've gone through this really recently with something I've been like, you know what? I, I don't think I'm going to work on that one anymore. And that is really sad because you're putting away these characters that you love. It's like saying, like, I don't want to talk to you children anymore. My kids go away. Uh, and that is sad, you know? Yeah, it's uh, it's like, well, what if it what how many trilogies can I fit them into so that I have more work <laughs> with these people? I've gotten to a, I got to a place in a play I was writing where someone died in it at the end. And I had done so much working that I was like, I got very sad because I was like, I don't want to. What can I, how does he save himself? How does he like go through mm -hmm. this? And it was a, um, it was kind of a weird moment. It's weird how we get attached to those things. Um, it's not something that, you know, no kid who, when they're like, I think I'm going to write something one day is ever like, I'm going to form a bond with the fake people I create. Like mm -hmm. saying that out loud makes us sound like insane people. Um, but yeah. Okay, great. That's, I love that. Um, Steven, I'm going to bounce it to you now. Okay. Um, I don't know if our listeners will know this, but this is Valerie's first directorial attempt. Woohoo! Yay! So, how did that feel? You, know, you acted in countless plays in, uh, locally. How did it feel to 
make the switch? What were the challenges of approaching something as a director as opposed to uh, an actor? Oops. <laughs> yeah, I think you're muted there, Valerie. I am muted. Uh, it was, uh, it's quite different and it was really fun. Uh, I was extremely nervous before the first rehearsal. Um, and it took a ton of concentration. Uh, I thought after that first, I was completely wiped out after that first rehearsal. Uh, uh, but um, it, also, this was a great way for me to get my toes wet, so to speak, because the, it's just directing the voices. And so there's no blocking, no set, no costumes, no memorizing, just two characters. So it felt handleable and like a good way to, to give it a shot. How did it feel to be uh, on the other side of the audition table? It was enlightening. <laughs> <laughs> How so? I mean, what? Um, well, one thing is it really highlighted maybe that if you don't, if you're not cast, it really may have nothing to do with how good or bad your audition was. That you could have done an excellent audition and still not get cast. Because oh. it's, it's, it's so, it's, it's kind of more than that. It's that many people do a great audition and then it comes down to some difficult and small things to decide. Mm -hmm. and, I mean, as you know, Steve, in God of Carnage, I was cast as the character I was instead of the other character of those two women on a coin toss. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> so now I understand it better. Now I understand <laughs> how that happened. Yeah. I think um, I, I'm, I'm going to choose to still be mad about not being cast in the aliens. I hope that's OK with you, Reha. Um <laughs> I should mention for the listeners, uh, myself, Reha, and Robin all went to the same college. We all went to University of Northern Iowa. We're all theater students at the same time. And Reha got cast in a play that I really wanted to be in. And I'm, I haven't let it go. Um, <laughs> that's not true. Um, it's, it's a great show. I, I got to house manage because, you know, that's preferred. Um, <laughs> and, uh, what is that? Good backup, you know. You know, you don't get to be in the thing. We can manage the house. That's fine. No, and I loved it. I'm making it sound like I have more animosity, and I guess you listeners are just going to have to decide for yourselves if I'm serious or not. Um, but yeah, right on. So I had a question um, for <laughs> what was that too much? <laughs> I'm sorry. It just sort of felt like uh, a small little tangent just to say that you were sad about Alien. I, it was a small up. little tangent just to make you feel bad, really, is yeah, what it was. Yeah. Um, that's, I do that, too. My fiancé didn't cast me in a show she was directing once, and I have never let her let it down. Oh. It was, honestly, it was really brave of her to do, to do that because she asked me to go because she didn't have a lot of guys who had uh, auditioned for it. And then so she was like, yeah, Jacob, come. We just started dating. This was like a year and a half ago. We just started dating. Um, to be fair, the character was required to play uh, the guitar, which I cannot do. And I was going to be in Mexico for one of the weekends, which is kind of a big deal. Um, but that also shows how many guys didn't show up. So it was between me and this other guy who, honestly, I saw the show. Way better job than I could have done. And he can play guitar and be there for the full thing. But I still have never let her live it down. Very <laughs> brave thing for her to do in a new relationship. Yeah, I do. Uh, um, my wife's not really a theater person, but I did use her as just an extra set of hands when we were doing uh, vintages, actually. Uh, cognitive. Yeah. Um, she helped out and we were engaged at the time. And I had to tell her once, and I hope she wouldn't mind me saying this, but I guess we'll find out. Um, uh, just kidding. She doesn't listen to the show. Um, 
uh, I had to be like, you need to do this better. Like, because I was directing too, and it was just in general a very tough, this is tangential, but it was a tough uh, process for the whole thing. And I was like, you, no, you, this thing that you're doing, you need to stop and you need to do this other thing better. But in any rate, um, it's amazing how, uh, for the sake of our art, we hurt the people we love. Isn't it great? Um, um, that was supposed to be a joke. I don't know if it's reading in my tone. Um, anyway, <laughs> thank you, Robin. Does that help? Thank you. Does that it help? helps if you guys laugh. Uh, <laughs> it makes me not feel like such a sociopath. Um, it helps if you were funny. No, I'm just kidding. Ouch. That was way better. That was way better than this any joke I've tried to make. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's get back to the play. We got Jacob. very sidetracked. Yeah. Um, that's okay, though. I like that. This is real. So I want to ask um, Robin and Jacob, both of you guys, a question. Jacob, actor Jacob. Um, have you guys, and we'll pop this, we'll go Robin and Jacob. Um, first off, Robin, have you done any other audio acting? And how does it compare or contrast to doing for lack of a better word, real act or live acting, stage acting. I can sure, say real. Sure. Real acting, yeah, quote unquote. Um, n I have not done audio acting like this. I was in a short film, so I had to come in and do like audio bits sort mm -hmm. of thing, but it wasn't like um, playing off of the other person's, you know, voice and tones that we're hearing. It was literally just recording um, a, a couple extra lines or reactions here and there. Um, so no, this is the first, I guess, um, big project I've done where with, with audio recording and it, it's great. Um, I think this, there's a lot of pressure taken away in different ways. Um, because, and you get to kind of hyper-focus a little more with, with quote unquote real acting or live acting, um, where you have an audience, or even if you're working on a film project or something, you're responsible for for your hand gestures, for your body language, for your facial expressions, um, and your voice. Right. This one, you really get to really get to focus on the um, the audio, and you really get to focus on the different inflections and things you can do with your voice. So it allows it just allows that um, the chance for more specification which was really cool to do because I talk a lot with my hands. So I don't know if, if I had my, um, my screen, yes, Riha, you can laugh at me. Um, I, <laughs> I see you, but I had my, my screen on and I, I, I'm sure you all saw my hands at some point flinging around because I, and I had to be careful not to bump the table. So my mic would pick it up sort of thing. And, um, but I have a hard time sitting on my hands. Right. So that was one of, I guess the challenges as you know, because you're so focused in your little booth or your little space that you're recording in, you don't want those extra sounds. Um, and you want to make sure there's a clear audio. So, so that was fun to try to figure out, but I'm also, you know, very comfortable in, in one of my favorite flannels and I'm wearing, you know, comfy socks and I'm, I'm just chilling in this booth at, in the basement of Freehouse. Um, but yeah, but I found it really awesome um, to, to just be able to focus on the audio um, and, and the challenges and, cool um discoveries with that yeah awesome well i'm glad to hear that you're welcome back anytime by oh, the I'll way be back. yeah this was great this was great <laughs> um yeah uh costive same question to you um so as far as I, i've done other zoom plays before um obviously it's a little different because you know you still have a, a face to work off of which i mean we can see each other but the, obviously the listeners can't see us Mm -hmm. um, this is definitely the first time I've ever uh, done an audio only thing where the audience can't see me. They can only hear me. Um, and I, I loved it. I definitely do it again. I, 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 I love voice acting. Like I find voice acting really like fascinating. Um, some of my favorite actors voice act Mark Hamill specifically mm -hmm. is like one of my favorite people in the world because mostly because of his voice acting Luke Skywalker is dope, but like, I love, I love voice acting. I find it so much more challenging than, than like live acting um, to an extent. It's, it's just different. You know, you have to, can, with live acting, you know, you can, you can convey a lot with your body and um, with just your expression. You know, there's, there's this live energy that the audience feels. 
as far as but with voice acting obviously you get this this is it you know you don't you have to convey all that emotion and all the things that are going on with simply the tone and inflections of your voice which is is a really interesting challenge and i really enjoy doing it um i hope i get the a chance to continue to do explore this kind of thing um like robin i'm i talk a lot with my hands um anyone knows me um blames it on me being italian <laughs> Um, yeah. because I, I talk so much with my hands. And so that was, you know, it was, it felt very like I, I approached doing this, like I have my other, the other zoom productions. Um, cause that's what I'm used to doing, but mm-hmm. still like, you know, it's, I know I'm like waving my hands about like, as if they're going to mean anything. And of course they don't. I think it means something. I think it, it, if it brings you, if it makes it so that you are more present in the you know process i think yes there's value to it and if nothing else it was fun for me to watch how about that so even if there was one person here for yeah i find uh, just sort of piggybacking um sorry to hijack this but i i you can watch like behind the scenes videos of voice actors doing work and they're so crazy animated their bodies are going all over the place so i think that it's absolutely cool and valid to do that i don't think that there's any problem with that anyway yep good job mm-hmm. yeah I, I if you ever want to like brighten your day i think you could find it on youtube but it's um robin williams doing aladdin being the yes. genie in aladdin mm-hmm. and you can mm-hmm. see the video the behind the scenes footage of him like in the studio doing all of those voices and he it's 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 the whole body thing so i i do think there's something to the point of like audio acting just in general is is different i think there's more things going through your mind even yeah. though on a certain like an output what you're putting out is so much more contained it's just your voice like it, yeah you, what the audience is actually going to experience of your performance is just one aspect of everything but you got to mm-hmm. do it all to be like true you know? yeah, well, and, and we've we've talked too about um you get to react you have to react differently because you only have sound you don't you can't watch somebody's right. body language as no. it changes because they've said something a certain way which then would inform you know your body language or maybe how you interpret what they're saying next sort of thing so you really have to yeah you really have to hone in on their voice and the different little inflections and things um, they do. And every time we've done this play, I've noticed Jacob says things differently. So then that changes how I think about what's coming next differently, yeah. um, which is, which has been great too. Yeah. But yeah, we're both crazy with our hands and that sort of thing <laughs> too. So, you know, if we ever need that little moment, just open the zoom screen again and make it a little bigger just to watch. Yes. You watch are things. both Italian <laughs> grandmothers. Um, <laughs> the gabagool. Um, Steven, passing it over to you before I make more Sopranos references. Okay. Um, author Jacob, uh, what other things have you written? Uh, by, by the way, I just really love this play. Um, it had me, um, in tears at some point and, and, uh, and I just love the sarcastic banter at the beginning. It's like, oh, this is so good. That's, I was hooked at that point. Um, but, uh, tell us about some of the other things you've written. Yeah, of course. Um, first of all, thank you. That's very sweet of you to say. And I'd also like to say for the record, um, Stephen, for those listening, did the uh, the image that was that is the like the podcast thumbnail and everything on the Facebook page. And it's absolutely remarkable. Um, and your work is great. Um, of course. Uh, yeah. So I have written a number of scripts and I actually just finished my first screenplay um, and it is fine <laughs> it's a it's a really big um, chasm to jump to, to change those media uh, and it in a surprising way when you write a play um, a scene uh, even not in a play like this it's all one scene but most plays are multiple scenes but like a short scene in a play is like five pages. Um, but if you get to five pages in a screenplay, either that's a really important scene or you're doing something really wrong. Um, oh. And that's just one of the first, or one of the, the very many uh, changes that you have to make. So that was, that was crazy. But um, I have written a number of plays and I still work on plays. I'm working on a play right now. Um, I wrote a play that we had a small reading of with the company that I am, uh, of which I am a founding member. 
called Meet Me Where the Oak Tree Grows, which is uh, a play that takes place in um, over the course of 16 or 18 or so years. Um, uh, and we see these characters every other year um, in backwards chronological order. And it sort of reveals uh, hidden shared trauma that they have. And that's probably the thing that I am the most proud of. Um, it's really good. I think, anyway. Um, that's uh, such a... Uh, Robin likes it. Um, thanks, Rob. Uh, and then the first play I ever wrote was about a family, um, a, an upper class uh, family who um, has some uh, crazy stuff happen in their house. And it all takes place in their living room. And uh, every time something crazy goes, happens, a new stain appears in the uh, vicinity somewhere. So the first stain is just a little coffee stain. And then there's oh. a wine stain, and then there's a blood stain, and then there's uh, Taco John's is um, thrown all around the room, and then uh, bleach goes everywhere. So it's like uh, increasingly absurd rather than increasingly um, uh, dark. But yeah, so there's that. And I have, of course, as I think every playwright um, in the world, I have several uh, projects in my head that I have started and will never finish or have started <laughs> and might one day go back to. Um, but yeah, so uh, a number of things. I don't, I'm not entirely sure what the count is. It's probably six or seven. Right on. Okay, hopefully we get to see some more of your work, either audio or actually in real life, hopefully in real life sometime soon. Yeah. Thank you so much. It means a lot. I think today is a great example of the environment you want to do an outdoor play in person. Am I right? Like, let's all go outside right now. We'll have to move away and change your name. I will have to move away. <laughs> yeah, if someone goes outside right now, it's like, let's do some and freezes let's to death. It. Let's do let's do something where we don't have to wear shoes even. Let's yeah. do some barefoot theater in the park. I feel it already. Hashtag Maddox is canceled. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, I, I wanted to ask a question as well um, to our playwright um, of our playwright. Uh, so this has a lot to do with the afterlife, the script in general, um, or, or kind of feels like it does. And I wonder... How much, like, I say world building, but I mean, like, afterlife, like, ideology building. How much do you have to do to make a script like this work versus how much can just kind of, do you just kind of let that sit and allow the audience to kind of fill in the blanks? Because on my end, I, I find myself reading a script like this and being like, okay, so is the waiting room purgatory? Is it, is this like a Catholic ideology where things are more specific that way? Is it something that's been made up? Is this hell? Is this, what is this? So, and maybe that's just my anal retentive mind, but um, do you have to define that for yourself when you're writing it? I guess is the question. Yeah. Okay. So <clears throat> I, Oh God, he cleared his throat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I really, when I was writing this, I had the idea that it would be really great if people came to it, read it and thought different things, had different theories about it. Um, and as I was sort of distinguishing how to do that, I realized the best way to do it was for me, the exact thing that happens takes place in a literal hospital waiting room. And then I'm just really cryptic about a lot of things. Um, so when you say, and uh, there was a rehearsal where you were all talking about this and I refused to comment except for with a winky face emoticon. Um, uh, that wasn't, that wasn't frustrating at all. No, that <laughs> made me extremely angry. Um, but, uh, so the idea is that, um, that these characters are somewhere in some sense between life and death. Um, and perhaps slash probably they are at different stages of that. Um, but, uh, I do not have a very distinct, like, oh, this is the Catholic mythos of purgatory. Mythos is maybe an offensive way to say that to some people, That's but, nice. um, <laughs> uh, but it is not, uh, it's not based on any ideology or any, uh, uh, specific theory of what the afterlife is. Although I have, um, personally of the deep background with Catholicism, I was born and raised and, uh, was for a long time devoutly Catholic. I'm not so much anymore. 
Um, but Same. that's, yeah, it's not a conversation for here and now, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah. So when it comes to this, that's sort of the primary, uh, background that I have in it. But when I was writing, I didn't want it to be so insular in its, uh, representation of what's happening or where these characters are, or what they're going through. Right. So as I was writing, I said, you know what, to me, um, this takes place in a waiting room at a hospital, weird stuff is going on. And, um, these are things that may or may not have happened to these characters' lives. And I think what that does is opens up the, uh, um, the, uh, the meaning of it to be uh, accessible to anybody um, or hopefully oh. as broad of an audience as possible. So if people come to this without a, a Catholic or even Judeo-Christian um, uh, interpretation of the afterlife or whatever, they can say, okay, but that doesn't matter because this is just simply... Um, about something else and it might apply to people in different ways and that's what I was hoping for um, the only thing that really matters is that it's consistent to itself right and I, I think that's the effect that it has I don't think I, I didn't come away from any of the readings we did and rehearsals or anything being like ah this is a catholic thing <laughs> like this was written by a catholic I can <laughs> tell no I didn't think so at all so I think that it has the desired effect um, Jacob, or not Jacob, Stephen. I've had half a glass, half a glass of Maker's Mark. Everybody, I'm forgetting names. I've um, had one and a half beers, so I'm I'm on the I'm rambly. You're you, but it all makes sense. So it's not rambling if it makes. God, sense. I hope so. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's why. Yeah, that's what I liked about it. Uh, the play as well. That um, when Valerie and I did a quick read through um, a few weeks ago. Uh, we were both like very moved by it, but we didn't quite understand what happened. <laughs> but we were moved, you know. It's we knew. <laughs> um, but yeah, but, you know, we got the connection between the two characters. But yeah, the, the ambivalence um, of what the place was didn't matter. I mean, it was just like the connection between the two characters, um, which was wonderful. Because um, yeah, I was going like. God, I love this. I'm not sure what it meant, but I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think, I, 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 and, and this might be contentious, but I think uh, there's a certain, like, the word that keeps coming to mind is there's a certain amount of grace in approaching art that way or when art impacts you in that way. Like, I don't know shit about painting techniques. I don't know a visual art I am garbage at. But I can go to, I, I was at a gallery, you know, pre-pandemic, obviously, I was at a gallery in, in D.C. is the national, the big gallery, I don't know what it's called, the Washington D.C. gallery, let's call it. Um, and I saw a lot of really amazing art, visual art, and it is a medium that I'm not super familiar with, but I was able to be like, that is hitting me somehow. I don't know how, and I don't know why, but it's there. Um, and that, I think, I'm trying to be better about that being like, enough. I don't need to know everything about it. Um but yeah, this script kind of yeah. Until you said that, Stephen, I didn't really get by. I didn't really understand that. So thank you. Um, do you have another something, question? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Valerie. Just something um, special or impressive about this play is that, like like Steve said, when he and I first read it through, I was really moved, and I I you know I couldn't really I I was surprised. I didn't expect that it was gonna. I wasn't surprised that I was moved. I was surprised what was happening. And then as we rehearsed it, I came to a better understanding of my, of my interpretation of what was going on, um, but stayed equally moved so that every time we'd get towards the end of this play and you couldn't see it because I was, uh, had my video off, but I always got choked up, which I credit to the play and to the performances. Um, but I just, it, it's even with repetition, it would, it, it happens every time. Okay. And I might, I'm going to go back on my thing and kind of move in the other direction. So I want to ask the actor specifically, um, and I'll start with Jacob. Um, what is your opinion on like what Caleb is going through in this, not necessarily on a practical level, not necessarily knowing exactly what's happening, all the circumstances, but like kind of emotionally, what did you cling to, to make for the character to like make sense for you? What were some through lines, I guess? 
So, I mean, I think it kind of comes down to a deep friendship that you have with another person. Um, especially when you know they're going through something pretty significant, um, in this case, dying. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things that if you're talking to a good friend of yours who is going through something pretty, pretty major, whether it's good or bad, you, you, you try to relate to them and say, you know, I, I, I get kind of what you're going through. And I think that's kind of what Caleb is doing. Obviously, Caleb himself is a little bit vague um, mm-hmm. as to his being. Um, but I think overall his intention is trying to help Abby um, kind of get through what she's going through and help her as best as he can. Um, there is a cat tail i think okay i'm glad that we talked about this valeria is do you have a cat in front of your screen i do not have a lot of control no over the cat that that was so totally there was that no was, cat owner that i was time. wondering how professional <laughs> jacob was going to be at like, <laughs> like, man, it's like not, not, it's and cat. she's back it's amazing no i love uh, <laughs> These wow, are the kind of I, happy accidents I love. Mm-hmm. I was like watching it and I was like, what is happening at Valerie's house? Like, what am I, I is that a skunk to get? What's going it's on? <laughs> like, it's a great, it's a great, what am a I great seeing? audience member. Very clearly happy about the production. Oh, geez. I was like, so wait, someone's got to, someone's got to acknowledge this. Yeah, yes. I was, I didn't want to cut Jacob off. So I'm like, I'm just going to say nothing. And then I didn't even like, notice that at first. I was just like talking, and then I looked down where Valerie's screen is. Uh, comparison to mine, I was like, I think it sounds vengeful because we told you to keep your cat quiet during a rehearsal, and then you're like, <laughs> but first gets to be in the fucking video. Yeah. Um, uh, hey guys, where's my cat? No, um, right? Yeah. Oh man, uh, I feel bad. I should have recorded at home then and let the yeah. let the dog freak out. Yeah. 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 Um, but no. Um, I think that's the thing he's just he's abby's a, like his best friend they've only ever had each other i think that that he's just trying to help her as best as he can i think that's kind of what i come to the most is in the times when i was trying to be as helpful to my friends as best i could in any situation that they've been in right i think that's great um robin same kind of deal where do you like what are the through lines that you're feeling in, in abby or, or that you kind of picked up on um, or things that you clung to, like emotionally, I suppose. I keep using that word. Um, yeah, no, that that's good. Um, I kept coming back to the idea of being in the waiting room, right? What am I waiting for? What is Abby waiting for? And and whatever she's waiting for is causing this um, uh, reoccurrence of these points of grief in her life, in in a way, um, because Caleb is her friend from, or or is like and she is attributing traits of Caleb or to Caleb, whatever, uh, reliving this idea of, of losing a friend um, at 15 just after her Nana died. Um, and now she herself is sick. So amidst that pain and confusion, she's now wondering, all right, I'm, I'm next in a way, right? I've lost my Nana. I lost my best friend and now it's my turn and I'm sick. And what does that feel like? So we don't actually know, you know, how, Nana or her friend died. Um, but we know that it wasn't great, right? And it wasn't expected. So I I it's kind of following um her her search for understanding in in my way of understanding her loss and how that fits into what she's feeling now, um, and why she is clinging, like you said, clinging to that amidst the pain and confusion and fear, knowing that that she's in this waiting room and waiting for whatever's coming next sort of thing she's in in the middle of that you know the in limbo in between um and so as she's sorting through all of that she's finding these connection points to to try to keep herself grounded sort through it but then throughout the play we see the repetition of the dialogue um so then my other thought with that too is how many times has she relived this how, you know, how long has she been struggling with this? How many, you know, and, and, you know, you kind of create your own little backstory as the actor, but how many times has she um, relived this sort of idea? Um, so, yeah. I like that a lot. 
Um, well, first off, I'm hogging the, the questions. Stephen, do you have any other questions? Um, for the writer, so have you been to Ireland or Germany? I mean, it just those stories seem so real. I have never been to Germany, but um, the Ireland monologue, the one that gets repeated, um, is almost explicitly from my memory of when I went to Ireland when I was 19 years old. <clears throat> And uh, in a lot of ways, the script is very personal to me. Um, and just a lot of like little details in particular, nothing is like actually happened in my life. that's really bigly happening in the play. But um, uh, my grandmother is my Nana and I have a dog named Daisy and this trip to Ireland happened to me. Um, so uh, when we went to Ireland, we literally were driving on this little winding road and there was a man trying to get a donkey to come with him through uh, the woods, and we called them donkey roads and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I've been to Ireland once, and I'd love to go back. But uh, yeah, that, yeah. It was a nice touch. It really seemed real. <laughs> yeah, and uh, there's a lot that rang really true about that. Well, that whole like thing that keeps popping up about heritage and the connection to like the elders and stuff, and also... I thought a lot about um, like James Joyce's like the dead in listening to this, which is a little on the nose <laughs> in terms of like the title and then the theme of this play. Um, but there's a lot like we, we learn stuff and how much do we glean? How much of us is the people that have come before us and that we've loved and cared about and have died and how much of it is where we come from and uh, you know, how much of it is our ancestry and stuff like that. I'm, I don't know if you guys can tell the quote John Mulaney from the everything about me, but I'm an Irish American. And um, uh, yeah, those, those monologues are very sweet to me. Your stage directions, I just learned this time through, you know, having to read them, your stage directions are very, they fit like the mood of the script and it's almost like a third character being in there. So I wanted to know, there's a lot, and we've talked, we talked about this briefly. There's a lot of debate, I think in the, in the writing world, specifically with playwrights, whether or not you should include really detailed um, stage directions. I've had actors being like, we don't even read those, so <laughs> you don't even need to write them. And I'm like, you should probably fucking read them if I put them in. Like, <laughs> I get pretty irate about that. Um, so what is your feeling on it? Are they super, super important? Are they vital? Are they, what is the role kind of the stage direction in, in, in the creation of this art form? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you're right. There is sort of this huge dialogue around stage directions among writers. Um, and a lot of writers, especially recently, are really like coming to the defense of stage directions. And I uh, empathize with that, but I'm not 100% in the room with that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, for me, when I write a stage direction, a stage direction is uh, something that helps read the play. Um, so when you're reading the play for the first time, uh, you get through or you get across or you get uh, wherever uh, you get past the dialogue and there's a huge block of stage direction. And if you're producing a play, um, you don't have the same set uh, that perhaps the original production had. You don't have the exact same set that the playwright had in mind. You don't have the same actors. Uh, nothing is going to match perfectly. So if you try to perfectly match what the playwright uh, said to do physically, it's, it is not doing a service to that production. And as a playwright, I want the production. I'm, I'm uh, giving this to somebody else. So I will give uh, stage directions um, intently, but uh, I won't give them uh, like as a commandment. Mm. Um, I, will, I will say this has to happen or this might happen or something like that. Pauses are stage directions that are really sort of subjective. Uh, it's a way to help read the script and understand the rhythm, but like a pause doesn't necessarily mean anything to an actor. Right. Um, I do a thing sometimes in my stage directions, which is controversial to some writers where I'll ask a question. Um, uh, sometimes I'll be like, Oh, what does this mean? Or how do you move past something like this? Something like that. And it's, it, I think stage directions are really to help understand what's happening in the play sometimes get a visual picture in your head about what's happening in the play, but never necessarily to dictate, um, to direct. 
like there's there are some things you have to direct as a writer, but not really. Um, there are some moments that you just have to make sure there's a visual uh, guideline for. But when it comes to writing stage directions, and especially in this play, I mostly just wanted to uh, to be, as you said, a third character, and that third character be the person who's watching the play. Mm. Um, some of my favorite stage directions on, in this play are uh, about when characters tell each other to shut up or not shut up. Um, and uh, there are a few that listeners heard, but there are more that you didn't. Uh, there are moments in the play that a character will say, shut up, and the stage direction will say, character shuts up. Instead of right. silence, it'll say character shuts up um, or character uh, unshuts up is one of them, too. And that sort of thing happens all over the place. And that's uh, useful because it helps when you're reading realize that this isn't so melodramatic. It's also kind of funny. Yeah. Um, there's there's humor to be found even when you're dying or whatever. And that's that's the kind of thing that I use stage directions for. I think it's a tool uh, to help navigate a reader or a production team through how they're going to feel their way uh, in a production rather than tell them this is how you direct the production and whoever's directing it, you know, whatever they can, they can uh, tell the actors how to say a certain line, but they can't tell them where to move. Like, no, that's not really what I'm worried about. I have a thing where I feel like I'm not giving a perspective director like enough of a, enough, like so i'm like they specifically have to move stage left and the door has to be four inches from the stage left stage left edge (laughs) and like i get like ultra specific not because i want to like exert control over everything but it seems like i'm just i don't want people to be like lost you know Mm -hmm. i want like to help at the you know very least i don't know i've kind of gone back and forth on it um Tangentially, there was this little. I did a. I was in the Dreamwell production of Hand to God, which is a really funny play. I don't know if you guys excellent it. play. It's a very funny play. It's a Great. Christian puppet ministry where one kid's uh, puppet comes to life and is kind of possessed by a demon. Um, so his hand puppet. So it's just him talking to himself. And our actor who did that part, uh, this guy named Zach Vig, was great. Um, but I got to play the bully. But there's a part in the script where the demon puppet has to kind of like make everything kind of go crazy. And the stage direction is just Tyrone goes ape shit. Um, Mm -hmm. Super vague. It's just that one sentence. It doesn't say anything specifically like the the window breaks, the lights flicker on and off. It's just, he goes ape shit. So the director has to figure out what that means for it to make sense with the whole piece and not just the whole piece in the script, but the specific production, which seems like kind of what we were talking about. And, so I love that. I think it's a, a subjective kind of thing and it has to, it has to help something in the production, but um, yeah. Uh, Valerie, one thing I wanted to ask you about is, I don't know if you picked up on it. I, just when we were doing the recording just uh, a little bit ago, I realized that they, some of the dialogue between Abby and Caleb, almost the, we've heard from rehabbing that these characters are meant to kind of be in their mid twenties about, mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of, you know, we kind of played with that a little bit, but it, it almost sounds like two kids kind of like, you know, jabbing at each other mm-hmm. a lot of the time. There's a lot of just, hey, 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 shut up, you idiot. Like, that, to me, that's how like kids like rib when you're friends with kids, you kind of rib each mm-hmm. other or whatever. Um, I wonder if that was something you picked up on. And if so, like how can you steer that as a director to make it see to like, so that that doesn't seem like kitschy, I guess is the type of word I'm trying to, mm-hmm. or immature, I guess not. And this yeah. certainly didn't seem that way. Riyadh, Good to hear. Cause I, I, I hope, I hope not. Um, and, and I think with that, that the actors made it so that it, it wasn't kitschy. It, it felt mm-hmm. really genuine and, and, my interpretation of it, which it could be completely off, is there's some, and maybe the audience isn't aware of it, but there's some reliving of that that period of time when they yeah. were little and met, and that was they had that incredible friendship, and that was part of it. Yeah. And it's just being replicated here um, at times, but we're 
but it's, it's a little bit weird because it's not really, it's, it's, it's not then, and we're not quite aware of what's happening and it's not really perhaps exactly happening. So, um, that was my interpretation of where that came from. It does make them feel very youthful. Yeah. And there's an added element of like tragedy, not because I'm thinking like, oh, these are young people who are now dead. It's more or, or dying. It is more like this is the memories that you have when you come through that. And all of that is kind of playing on a loop in your head. It's just so heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you take it for really, and I'm, I'm constantly talking about, when talking about this script, guys, I'm constantly trying to fight, like, coming up with details or establishing details about it because I just want to kind of let the thing breathe. I kind of have to be hands off. Now, real quick, um, well, I'm sorry. First off, again, I'm hogging. Steven, do you have any other questions? Um, I do not. That sounded very scoldy. I'm sorry. It's like, you better think of something to say that is both witty and intelligent. Okay. Um, well, I mean, does Valerie want to direct again? Um, well, that's an interesting question. Uh, I would like to direct something like this again. Um, yeah. I think taking on a full-length in-person play would be something I need to build up to. I don't know how... You know, I've been in plays and I've done, you know, props for a lot of plays, but um, it doesn't take up my full time. But, you know, the director can't take a night off no matter no matter what. But, you know, I always had downtime. So I don't know how they do it. Yeah, you'd, you'd, you'd have to be able to devote all your time. Uh, well, I would like to say that Valerie absolutely has the chops to direct plays if um, it is something Thank that you, you want to. Uh, keep working on. Um, I think that you absolutely have that. Uh, you, you're, you're just the way that you carry yourself and the, the things that you have to say about a process are absolutely in the right, uh, um, the right mindset. Like you're a natural at it. So that is great to hear. Thank you. Yeah, of course. I think this can be a very tough process for anybody to undertake uh, in any like capacity, being an actor or anything. There's something that is very, for me at least, I should just speak for myself, uh, is very hard. It's like bearing, to sound really heady and artsy about it, like bearing the soul or whatever. You know, you're kind of really opening yourself up to what other people would be critical of. And um, I think it's, it's, I give kudos to anybody who's able to do this kind of work, myself included. I give myself a lot of kudos. Um, uh, you know, because uh, you kind of have to. But well, I just. Was, go oh, ahead, sorry, Dave. I was going to say, like, I, I, I've never directed. I probably won't. It's not a thing I really want to do. I don't have a lot of interest in it. It's a super important thing. Um, but I've gotten a chance to see, like, I've mentioned my fiance. She directs a whole bunch of stuff. Um, she's currently directing a show at Kirkwood right now. Um, and it's really interesting to me that, because you know, she, she also acts and stuff, um, the difference that she comes to when it comes to being in a thing and directing the thing. It's a really different skill set and different set of challenges. Um, and I thought as a, as a guy in the thing, um, Valerie did a really great job of directing the thing. Um, Thank you. Please do it again. Thank <laughs> um, you. But... Yeah, no, it's it's so. I, I think it's really interesting directing, um, and I got a, I've got a really neat chance to see that on the other end, thanks to um, Emma directing yeah. her plays. I I don't like directing. I'm bad at it. Um, Jacob, you've been Somebody, directed by me, so you maybe you're a better judge of that. But no, yeah, no, I suck. Um, <laughs> I'm very no, I, bad I think at. It's just I think it was more of a. You know, I've been, I've gotten, a, I've gotten lucky. I've gotten the opportunity to, to be directed by a lot of people. Some who've done a lot of things, some who had never done anything. Um, and I don't have a personal favorite. I don't have someone who is the absolute worst. Um, even you, Colin, I thought, I mean, it, it was a little different because you were directing your own show at the yeah. time that I was in that show with you. And, you know, um, so I think that play, definitely played some factor into how you directed it because you have a specific vision when you write the thing, I imagine. 
And so now that you have more control over it, um, it's a little, it's different. Um, you know, I can't say that you were, like I said, I, I won't say that you were the worst director I've ever had because you weren't, you weren't the best, but you weren't the worst. I love that though, but I, I would rather you be, and yeah, you don't hurt my feelings. I don't, I don't know. It's it, if you're a playwright and your plays looks like it's going to get a production and they're like, Oh, would you want to direct it? Say no. Cause you're not going to like your job is done. They're going to do it. But say no to directing. I wish that someone had just grabbed me by the shoulders and told me that. Um, and maybe it's just a me thing. Other playwrights can do it fine, but um, I'm Emmett and Haunt. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up, are you guys familiar with uh, Black Mirror? This felt very Black Mirror yes. to me. Mm. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't actually love Black Mirror. Whoa. Um, uh, oddly enough. I don't hate it. I've seen some episodes that I've liked, but I'm, I'm not, I haven't watched all of it. Um, and I've not ever fell in love with it. I, 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 I hope that, that what I, the comparison doesn't bother you, but if no, I may explain, yeah. I think it's because the guy who writes those, what's his, Charlie Booker, I believe is his name, who he's written all the episodes, I think, does a very good job, and, and, and you do too, Rehav, taking like something that could seem very big, very insurmountable, or even actually, it seems, sounds like you started from a very personal place and then it got bigger, um, which I, I see like you're like passing ships this in black mirror because it's like he seems to start from this i very big societal ideas and bring them very to a personal level and you seem to do the opposite but the impact is the same i'm not caring as much about the world that black mirror is set in nor the circumstances that are set around these two characters but i'm caring about what the two characters are saying to each other and their relationship so that's where the comparison was for me i just thought of that though when you were doing the when we were doing the reading um, so I thought I'd bring it up. I will well, say go really ahead. quick, I guess, on a related note that maybe Black Mirror isn't a thing that um, I would compare myself to. I am like a huge fan of David Lynch, who does a similar thing. Um, and I don't think that I will ever be as uh, fucking kooky as David Lynch is. But um, there's always uh, time. There, you know what? You're right. Uh, I can get into transcendental meditation twice a day. Uh, but, um, as a big fan of his, whenever I do anything that's sort of absurdist or trippy, uh, it's important to me that the trippiness, the absurdity, uh, is personal. It makes, uh, some sense to the emotional, uh, category that, uh, whatever is happening falls into rather than it just being trippy to get a reaction out of the audience. It's trippy or weird or something absurd is happening that is important to, uh, the emotional payoff of what's happening for these characters yeah i like that um and yeah I, I don't think that's a crazy comparison either david lynch is is i need to do a deeper dive on his stuff oh he's um, brilliant do you do you do transcendental meditation i've tried i'm bad at it i've never tried um, yeah i should I, I feel like it would do me a world of good does anybody else meditate what can you tell me about meditating let's talk about meditating <laughs> oh my goodness I wish that I did, but I just... Never try. It's supposed Never to be tried. so great for you. Yeah. Um, I've meditated before. It's very peaceful, but you have to be... The hardest part is you literally have to be able to just devote a certain amount of time to empty your mind. Mm. I mean, that's what it is. So yeah. that's the hardest part. So I do it when I like used to do it more regularly. I would do it for... And if I broke practice, whatever, I would do it for like two minutes at a time and then five minutes at a time and then 10 minutes at a time. So, and then as soon as I found myself like letting thoughts in my brain, I would pull myself out of it and like, okay, we're done sort of thing. But interesting. That's interesting. Anyway, also about people in Syria now that we're on a team. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <Don't> <laughs> <for> it. <laughs> no, no, no. Bringing that back. Hashtag time is canceled. <laughs> um, time's up. Time's up. <laughs> time's up. That's good. Uh, good. I'll add that one to the list. Yeah. <laughs> Puns made about my name. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that they never happen. But uh, yeah, this yeah. is now a, a transcendental medication yeah. podcast. Uh, the house is quiet. Um, <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Deep breathing, focusing on the breath. Um, I feel those are just huh. things that certain acting professors of mine have said in the past. Focus on your breath. Um, and uh, I'm like, I get it. I'm breathing. 
Um, but anyways, let's not go down a further rabbit hole with this. I like everything you guys have said. It's brilliant. I had a wonderful time doing this play with you guys. You are all welcome back in any and all capacities. If you want to direct something, if you want to send me something you wrote, if you want to act in something else, all of you come back and do it again. I would do it with just the four of you again. Um, do a different project. Like uh, let's let's write a play about performing a play over Zoom for a podcast. Um, never been done. It's never been yeah, done. It's, it's never been done. It's. I mean, I I'm feel sure like it's, I'm sure will be done a lot after the pandemic. During after all this. Well, we're what about the, to meet it first. Yeah. <laughs> I saw um, a post at the beginning of the pandemic on Facebook that I thought was really funny. It's, uh, it's on this theater page. It's like, I don't think we fully grasped how many two-person one-act plays are going to come <laughs> out of this time based on couples being quarantined together. Yeah. My friend posted that, and I just commented, I feel attacked. Because yeah. um, <laughs> I am currently writing a play about a couple being quarantined together. It's great. Um <laughs> it is the most headache-inducing thing I've ever worked on. Well, anyway, on that note, thank you guys so much for being here. You're all welcome back anytime. I loved this. I love you all. Thank you so much. And, great uh, working with everyone. Super great. Thanks yeah, so, you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you. This is awesome. Yeah, thank you. I feel very fortunate for this team. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, this oh, thanks. Me too. Thank you.